let's let's be each other's village, knowing that you know we will show up for each other as we are able and to the best of our ability, trusting that capacity will ebb and flow amongst us and needs will ebb and flow amongst us and that that could be held by the collective. Welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Join me, your host, Samantha Nagel, a certified integrative nutrition health coach, poet, witch, and work in progress for grounding meditations, inspiring interviews, and reflections about spirituality, holistic health, and the world around us. Join in every Thursday as we explore what empowered spirituality means to us in today's world. Hello and welcome to the first interview episode of season three of the Empowered Spirituality podcast. Oh, I am recording this intro right after my conversation with Sarah Wildman, who you'll hear in a little bit. Um, and I'm just feeling so inspired and so reflective. Um, when I got on, or maybe like 30 minutes before the call, I was like feeling like weighed down and kind of tired. Um, I had a really early morning at work and I was just feeling like, oh, I don't want to do this interview, not because of her, just like, I just don't have the energy. Um, and as I started like pulling up my notes and pulling up the questions that I had, I was like, oh man, this is going to be a good one. And it was, I feel like so embodied. She uses that word a lot. I feel really grounded and I feel really grateful and I feel really inspired. And I hope you will too, when you listen, um, actually, and I have plans with a friend this evening, and I was thinking of canceling it because I'm just like, oh, I don't feel good. Um, and so, yeah, this inspired me to not cancel my plans and lean into my village. Uh, so that I'm really grateful for that. So me and Sarah, let me tell you a little bit about Sarah. Sarah is a leadership and relationship dynamics coach, community builder, and founder of Our Common, a coaching and consulting practice that serves community seekers, community builders, and existing communities. Nearly a decade of community living and years of experience working and coaching in complex organizational dynamics has equipped her to work with people to navigate nuanced relationships with authenticity and courage, empowering individuals and teens to get creative and create lasting change. Her work includes leading community conversation, hosting nature-based retreats. I'll have to keep my eye on that one. That sounds lovely. And coaching with leaders, teams, and living communities. Sarah grew up in a home focused on hospitality and mutual aid, where shared elements of life with friends and neighbors was considered normal. With her own young family, she lived in intentional community for close to a decade, which is so cool including living on shared land with other singles and families while sharing meals, work, and chores. She spent the last four years setting down roots in BC, Okanagan, where she and her family seek to live in alignment with their core values of environmental stewardship, community care, and local impact through small daily choices. Um, and we don't talk about that previous life too, too much, um, but she shares a little bit about it and it's so interesting. 
And I think that really, um, that outlook is so intriguing to me because I come from the exact opposite outlook where it was like, it was just me, my mom and my dad. And it was just the three of us. And then when they split, it was the two and two. (laughs) Um, And like really didn't have a lot of family friends. Um, There were no big meals, not a big family. So I'm approaching this work as someone who's like learning how to be in a village at all. And she's approaching this work as someone who has been in a really like all consuming village and how to bring it to our world where that's not as common. So I think that's really cool. And it was really cool to hear just like her speak and and hear those differences, you know? Um, She also brings a collaborative whole systems approach to her work, making space for a collective grappling, encouraging courageous action and helping us to remember that we're never truly alone. And she does have a new offering called Our Common Life, um, registration for that ends on March 16th and it starts starts on March 30th. It's a year-long revillaging project and she created it because she has experienced firsthand that it's hard work to build community into our lives in this busy modern world and we could all use a little support and encouragement on the journey. And if you're listening in real time, she has a free call on March 9th. Um, And the theme is about a whole systems approach to navigating conflict. And we also talk about conflict in the episode and how scary (laughs) conflict can really be. Um, So that's really interesting. And I think I will be attending that call um, given my schedule allows it. Um, Yeah, so some things that we talk about we talk about what a village versus a community is. And that's really interesting because I think that I often use community as a word for village when I maybe mean village. Um, and I shared with her in the episode that, so I, I followed her for a little bit, um, Azalea Moen, who was on the podcast in season two. Um, she was sharing some of her stuff on her stories. And I was like, who's this? Um, and she uses the word village often. And I was like, villages aren't real. <laughs> like, or like not real anymore. Like those are old timey towns. Um, or they they're only small towns. Like I live in a city, so I can't have a village. Um, and I of course started to unlearn that with following her, but I really now understand the nuanced differences of community and village now and how we absolutely can have a village now. Um we talk about neighbors, which is really interesting. Um, if you've been following my episode uh, last week, you know that I've moved. I think last week I was preparing to move, and this week I have moved. I moved over the weekend. <sighs> and I'm noticing that this street that I'm on is so beautiful. It's only three minutes away from my three minutes driving, like 10 minutes walking away from my previous residence. Um, but the, the feeling is so different. And I used to walk down the street and think, oh, I've always wanted to live here. I always, I wish I could live here. I wish we could move here because people seem so connected and not even in a big way, but just when I pass someone, when I'm coming in or out or walking my dog, um, there's a lot of dogs here too, which is a good sign to me. Um, they just say hi. And 
we kind of talk about like bigger ideas of how we can connect with our neighborhood. But we also talk about the small things too. And I think that starts with just saying hi or making eye contact with a neighbor. Um, and I was sharing with her my my desire for this, my desire to have a neighborhood block or street that feels connected. And also my resistance to that, like the resistance to the practice. Like I was bringing in something from the car last night and I saw my neighbor who I've not met yet leaving his house and going to his car. And I was like, oh, this is a perfect time to introduce myself. Or just say like, hey, we just moved in. Hi, you know, not ambush him while he's going to his car, but just, you know, reach out a little. Um, And like how I didn't want to do that and how that felt really scary to do. Um, And I, I just opted for pretending I didn't see him. And I was also reflecting on my last neighborhood there. I didn't know there was one guy. I think I waved to him three times in three years. Then the person right across the street from me, I don't know his name. I've waved at him and he's never waved back, but otherwise we have not spoken or interacted. He is a stranger to me. And I respect that too, because people have boundaries <laughs> and they are entitled to those boundaries. But just how strange it is that we live in a time where I could go three and a half years and never even know his name. Um. Yeah. And just the, the ways that I have resistance to that. Like I had a neighbor who was, who was reaching out to me and wanted to like get together more often. And I like pulled away because I was like, I, like, I don't want this relationship. I don't want this pressure. Um, I don't want this intimacy. And even though I, like, I have a soul want, as Sarah says, I don't, yeah, I just have a resistance. So I'm kind of, viewing this as a nice fresh start, right? Like I moved in, I can use that as a springboard for conversations and I can, you know, introduce myself. It gives me a good in. I didn't introduce myself to another neighbor for two and a half years. Um, So I'm excited at the opportunity to do things a little bit differently. So I will mention that in the following episodes and maybe that can keep me accountable while also maybe giving you some ideas She also does give other non-neighbor ways. So she mentions friends. Um, We talked a little bit about my partner's family and family in general. Um, And like, this is just something I've been thinking so much about. His family is so interconnected and so supportive and so helpful and so kind and so accepting without question. Like it's unconditional acceptance. It doesn't mean that there's never conflict. It doesn't mean that there's not boundaries or conversations when boundaries are crossed, but it means the acceptance that they have for one another is truly unconditional. And the support that they have for each other is unconditional. Um, And how scary that was when I first entered into that dynamic. Um, And so, yeah, I, I love that we were able to talk about that and this conversation was able to kind of like integrate things that have been on my mind, which is really fun. Oh, we touched on something that we didn't really get to chat about. So I'm going to bring it up here. Um, She mentioned she's an extrovert and I was like, I am not, (laughs) but how important community or village is, even if you're an introvert. Um, I think it was on 
uh, Becca P. Australia's podcast recently. I think it was the episode, um, I forgot her name. <laughs> uh, she has a podcast called Needy and a book called Needy, which I'm excited to read. Um, and someone was saying, I don't know if it was Becca or the, the woman who wrote the book, um, about how they used to think that they were this introvert that hated spending time with people. But then they realized they were just spending time with people who were not being nourishing and supportive. Um, and I really have felt that recently. Um, I am an introvert in the sense that I don't find energy from maybe just anyone. I don't find energy from like going to the store and being around people. I know people who are like that, just being in the presence of anyone would be energizing almost like a coffee shop. Um, that's not how I feel, but when I'm around people who, who I experience true belonging with, I do start, I do have more energy when I leave than, than when I came, which is really beautiful. And part of why I'm grateful I'm not canceling my plans tonight. Um, yeah. So I, I think it can be easy to hear this and be like, well, I'm an introvert. I don't want to be like having all my neighbors at my house. You don't have to do that. <laughs> you don't have to do that. It can be as simple as saying hi to your neighbors. It can be as simple as a text every once in a while to your neighbors. It doesn't have to be that you're best friends with your neighbors or everyone that you know. There are ways that you can integrate this when you are less of a social and extroverted person, which I think is cool. Um, yeah. So I just think this conversation is so important, especially with the inter or no, the independence that we really experience in our culture. Um, and I think also with the rise of like, um, kind of self-help, um, I think a lot of self-help is like, you know, which is, I'm not saying it's all bad, but put your needs first, um, set really firm boundaries. And like, yes, <laughs> you absolutely have to take care of your needs. And sometimes you do have to take care of your needs first, but I think it can create this and you should have boundaries. Absolutely. Um, but I think it can kind of go overboard a little bit where we have a lot of boundaries, a lot of rigid boundaries. Um, and there's that saying, if it's not a hell, yes, it's a no or a hell no, uh, whatever. But I don't like that because the thing is, sometimes there are things that I'm not a hell yes to, and I'm allowed to honor my bandwidth and my capacity. But let's say like a best friend or family member needs help moving, <laughs> moving's on the brain, but um, I'm not like, oh, hell yeah cannot wait to spend my Saturday lifting things and being tired. Woohoo. Um, but so it's not maybe a hell yes, but it aligns with my values and it's something that I feel passionate about and I love the person. So I want to help them. So in that case, it's a yes, maybe it's not a hell yes. Or if my partner, it would mean a lot to him if I went to something with him. And I am able to, I do have the bandwidth in general, but I'm not like, oh, I cannot wait to like go to this Lego thing with him, but it's an act of service to do it. So I think I'm like rambling a little bit about that, but I think that rise of like Instagram self-help too, where it's not super nuanced has maybe brought us closer to ourselves, which has been missing absolutely, but has also kind of brought us away from 
that community and that relationship um, in that village. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sarah. I know that I did uh, enjoy. I have had painful periods and cycles and incredibly heavy periods since I first started my period. And being a certified health coach and having so many talented menstrual health experts in my network has allowed me to use food as medicine and create lifestyle changes to improve my cycle, but I still suffer every month with pain before and during my period and even pain with ovulation, and I still have a pretty heavy flow. And that is where Elix comes in. Their cycle balance tincture is actually personalized just for you. So mine all say Samantha in handwritten lettering on the side of the bottle. And they include a tailored blend of medicinal herbs to holistically support menstrual symptoms by treating the underlying imbalances. And in fact, 93% of users have reported reductions in symptoms such as cramps, heavy bleeding, mood swings, irregular cycles, bloating, fatigue, anxiety and stress, migraines, PMS, and actually many more. I have already seen an incredible decrease in my pain and even if in my flow, something I thought I would just have to live with for the rest of my life. And I've even been experiencing less fatigue and fewer mood swings. So thank goddess for that. (laughs) And if you want to try this out and take the assessment and order your first bottle, you can use the code SamanthaN20 and you can get 20% off of your first order. If you use the code SamanthaN20, you'll do this at elixhealing.com or you can just use the link in the show notes. For me, empowered spirituality, I think, is about being conscious and being embodied. For me, it's about bringing spirituality into the everyday ordinary and about choice, allowing ourselves to choose to let something be part of our spiritual practice or not. (laughs) And what I mean by that is really like choosing to bring the dishes into a mindful or meditative moment and allowing that to be an expression of something deeper uh, or not, and just letting it be the dishes. But that real piece about consciousness and choice and everyday kind of lived moments. I love that. When When you said choice, it kind of reminded me of authenticity too. Like you're not maybe performing or you're not doing what you see everyone else kind of doing a spirituality or doing whatever feels true to you. Yeah. Authenticity is a beautiful word, I think, as it relates to spirituality, because oftentimes we look outside of ourselves or towards some authority around what spirituality is meant to look like and how it's meant to be practiced. And Mm -hmm. certainly there are ancient wisdoms and modern wisdoms that we can glean from and yet for the expression to feel true and i think empowered it needs to come from a place of authenticity Mm, thank you so much i appreciate that i always love hearing how people describe that Mm. so i really really love the work that you do i think i found your account through azalea um, and you post such amazing things about community and you use this term village. 
So I'm curious, I mean, the term village as you use it. Yeah, that's a great question. And maybe I would distinguish here between uh, the word community that I use more broadly and this word village. So maybe to start, when I speak about community, I think I'm really speaking about any collection of, of humans, although our communities can include uh, non-human participants like the natural world around us as well. Uh, and when I speak about community at large, I think I'm often speaking about uh, teams or maybe online communities we're part of, uh, maybe even family systems, those that are gathered for some reason, purpose, or in some kind of more generic type of way. Uh, and when I speak about village, I really am speaking more about lived daily experience of community. Uh, those people that are kind of interwoven into our daily life that we can lean on, rely on, maybe where there's a little less uh, needed structure even, more pop-ins, quick reach-outs. And often I think our village is typically more local, although not necessarily, but those that we think of as part of our closest network of support. That's so interesting. I've never heard the two distinguished. And in my mind, I always think of them as the same thing. But it sounds like you're saying that community is kind of a group of people, plus you like plus animals or the environment <laughs> and villages like more intimate, maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe we might think of like a workplace community or oh, I'm, I might be part of a poetry community where we share poetry. And that's really the extent of what that community is about. Or uh, I go to the climbing gym and I have a bit of a community there. I think we just use the term community more broadly. Uh, and yet, yeah, that intimacy and almost a practicality around the idea of village. And in some ways it helps to, to really close your eyes and picture what comes to mind when you hear the word village. Uh, you know, in our modern Western culture, it's not a thing that we model very well very often, but there are many parts of the world and many times through history where that idea of village, people tending and caring for each other in both very practical and intimate and daily ways uh, was really normal. Mm, you're so right. When I visualize the word village, what I can see is like an old cobblestone town mm. like set in olden days and so I, I remember even seeing your work and seeing the word village and being like huh I didn't know you could still have those <laughs> well absolutely and I think there's lots of ways that it can look and it can look uh, you know I lived in for close to a decade in intentional community in two different communities where you know, we lived and worked amongst other families and singles, sharing land and meals and chores and childcare. And it really was a village. Like there was a beating a path to each other's door uh, for times of need to help each other out to borrow a cup of sugar, but also to check in and have those kind of heart connect moments. And now that we live in a more typical neighborhood in a single family dwelling, I'm reimagining what that word village means and looks like in my new context. And it it still is pop-ins with the neighbors and childcare swaps uh, and building familiarity. And so 
it's it's a little less structured, but it's bearing a lot of the same images that it does in this really intentional format. Wow. So was that challenging at all? Or what was that like to transition from this really like, intimate, it sounds like live-in community almost, to yeah. kind of what we are used to now? Exactly. Yeah, it was really challenging. That transition for me was a huge adjustment. I think the biggest the biggest challenge in the adjustment was in our community context, uh, we shared the load with preparing meals. And so, you know, we cooked for everyone, but only once every three weeks or something like that. And <laughs> we moved to a single family dwelling and discovered that normal families cook dinner seven nights of the week wow. and have to cook and prepare and clean up. And, you know, when you've got, we've got children and uh, my husband and I are both working and, you know, taking care of the home and the garden. And all of a sudden you recognize, oh, these, our village has just shrunk to this single family unit. And these two adults are responsible for all of the roles within the community all of a sudden. Uh, which is much heavier load than our experience previously where uh, somebody was growing the food and somebody else was maybe preserving and somebody else was facilitating a community conversation and somebody else was cooking and somebody else was helping with the kids <laughs> and where all those roles were more shared. Uh, so reimagining that for me was a, a slow process, especially uh, our move kind of coincided fairly shortly thereafter uh, with the COVID pandemic and even more so experiencing that isolation that so many of us experienced in the past few years around kind of being responsible as, as a household for all, all, of, all of the things. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> there's more I could say about that. Wow. I love that you shared that and something that comes up with me and like a story I tell myself a lot is that I am like, because I find those things overwhelming, like preparing food every single day or every single week and doing all the other stuff that has to get done, that I'm like lazy for not being able to keep up. And it sounds oh. like that's not the way that maybe traditionally we operated. Goodness, isn't that so true? The story that comes with, right? Mm -hmm. And I, that <laughs> that that there's something wrong with us that I can't. That it all. Oh, why does adulting feel so hard? Why can't I do it? <laughs> you know, it's. I do really think we are inherently pack animals, and mm -hmm. I think we live in a generation where expectations and pressures are maybe higher even than they've ever been before, especially uh, for those that are minding little people or raising little people. Um, and yet we live in a more isolated culture than ever before. And I think even with the introduction of all the platforms we have now on the internet to connect with people, absolutely in some ways there's this sense of, of more connection, more interconnectedness globally and with people in our relationships, more means of access. And yet in a lot of ways, many of us feel even more isolated. And I, I do think this is the piece about Village in terms of uh, it being tangible and embodied that can be really game-changing for people that goes beyond that community experience of, of shared 
like-minded folks in maybe an online space or something like that, but shifting into those embodied experiences of shared life uh, really, I think, speaks to us on a deep soul level. Oh, it so does. Um, and you mentioned earlier that we're not really great at modeling the village now. Um, and you also mentioned, you know, we have all these internet connections, but I mean, at my previous, I just moved, but mm. where I just lived, I didn't know most of my neighbors. Mm -hmm. So it's like, in a way I'm connected to you and all of these people that I wouldn't meet, but yet I'm not meeting people that I live right next to. Yeah. 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 And I think we live in this beautiful age where maybe we could have both. And that's the brilliant thing, I think, about the global connections we find through, you know, the internet is that we can build communities around shared passion, shared beliefs, shared interest, shared purpose, uh, shared interests, etc. And yet there is still that piece that's missing in terms of the shared elements of life. And I I speak very much through the lens of an extrovert. Uh, <laughs> I, I very much thrive around uh, being around other people, other human bodies in kind of lived reality. And I've really realized that in the last few years, moving out of a community context into a single family dwelling, moving where I was working as part of a team and doing work that was very in person to working for myself and working alone in my home, I really noticed the difference of not being, even though my work is very relational and I'm, I'm on the phone all day um, or Zoom or whatnot with clients, I noticed the absence of that kind of embodied expression and experience of community and of relationship. And so partly I speak from my craving that and noticing how different I feel when I am uh, have those kind of regular interactions with other humans. Yeah. And I think you said that thing about being an extrovert and I'm definitely not an extrovert, <laughs> um, but I think introverts need that village and that connection just as much. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so besides social media, why do you think, or what are other barriers that we have to creating this kind of village? Do you think it has anything to do with this like hyper independence that we see in our culture? Yes, a hundred percent. I think, you know, there's a few things I would say. One, absolutely, just the messaging of independence. And and there's, you know, with everything, <laughs> there's nuance and and two sides of every coin, right? I, you know, there's absolutely a lot of value in, in learning to fend for ourselves, quote unquote, and be able to push through or, or meet a challenge. And yet I do think with capitalism, we have a lot of messaging around kind of that hustle, push, striving energy and being able to figure things out or do things alone not showing weakness and asking for help. So that's, I think, an undercurrent and uh, messaging a lot of us have experienced for much of our lives. But I think a couple of the other barriers I really see, one is busyness. It, mm. uh, <laughs> and it's funny because in some ways the village is an anecdote, antidote <laughs> to busyness in terms of sharing load, but also it requires time to build relationship, to address conflict, to 
express our needs to show up and help somebody else to have the bandwidth and capacity to support those around us uh, does. It, it requires a little bit more space in our time and, and in our energy. And I think the maybe the last piece is just that piece about not seeing it modeled and, and maybe lack of imagination or creativity or fear or discomfort around the ideas of, uh, you know, giving and receiving in more intimate ways with the people in our lives. Mm, I love that you brought up fear. Um, I'm thinking of my partner's family and they are so interconnected um, and they're like in communication all the time and they're always helping each other. And it's just like no question that they're going to be there to assist mm. each other. Um, but when I first entered into that, I was like, Ugh. <laughs> like, like I was like, what's the catch? I don't know. I just felt so fearful. And I think that's because what you said, I didn't have that modeled for most of my life. So I thought that was really interesting that you mentioned that fear. Yeah. I love your example because it's a, picture of a family that's kind of doing village <laughs> that idea yeah. of like you can trust and now you know and it took time but now you know inherently that you can trust like if there's a need someone will show up for that and i do think when i think about village i think about it much more like a web than a direct exchange of reciprocity you know yeah. i think a lot of the times an example might be uh, we had some neighbors that had an, a new baby and uh, we remembered what it was like to have a new baby and so we brought them a meal we, we didn't know them very well uh, but we brought them a meal and their instant response was like oh my gosh well we'll have to have you over and bring you a meal <laughs> i was like no 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 the goal here is not exchange we aren't bringing mm. you a meal so that you can pay us back the ideas were all part of this broader community of our, we're supporting you in a time of need, trusting that when we are in a time of need, someone will show up and be there. But it doesn't, you know, it's it's a more of a web type system and a trusting that the net or the web of the system itself will hold us rather than like I helped you. So when I'm in need, you'll help me, but more like I helped you. So when somebody's in need, you'll help them. And when I'm in need, someone will help me. And that that we can trust uh the strength of the system as a whole. And that's something that maybe I'm projecting that, that I hear you speaking a little bit about inside your husband's family. Mm, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm noticing how much I do that too. Um, I know I keep on mentioning that I moved, but I had a friend help me move and we got everyone food and she left before the food got there. And I was like, well, how am I going to reciprocate? And I just felt so nervous. So I love that idea. I think reciprocity is how I view it, like a, a corner, maybe not a cornerstone, but an underlying theme in the web, but yeah. it's not like a tit for tat you helped me and now I'm immediately wanting help back. It's like more of a energy of reciprocity that's maybe a bit more like vague and not immediate. Yeah, I mean, it's about an intention of goodwill, right? You know, that, and, and it does take some commitment or some uh, naming or being explicit about that, I think, to build the trust, especially for those of us that feel a little fearful because if we didn't mm. kind of grow up around that sort of interconnectedness it is uncommon it is uncomfortable yeah. and you know the unfamiliar by nature is uncomfortable and so i think 
where it's new for us, kind of even naming explicitly, I'm, I'm serving or supporting you, trusting that when it's my term, support will come like, or something like that. Maybe we just name that for ourselves, but maybe we name that into those relationships, or maybe we do have a real intentional design with a handful of families or friends that kind of say like, let's, let's be each other's village, knowing that, you know, we will show up for each other as we are able and to the best of our ability, trusting that capacity will ebb and flow amongst us and needs will ebb and flow amongst us and that that could be held by the collective. Wow, that is so powerful. Um, you mentioned trust, which I thought was really interesting. And I was planning on asking this later, but I know that you're having a call-in on March 9th, so next Thursday. Yeah. Um, and part of that is about navigating conflict. And speaking of fear, <laughs> <laughs> conflict yeah. can be so scary. So yeah. I'm wondering if you could speak on that. Yeah, I think even in deeply trusting communities, relationships, conflict can be scary. And I, you know, especially in those relationship systems where it feels like there's a lot at stake. And when we really care about people and when a relationship really matters to us, of course, a lot feels at stake. We don't want to lose the goodwill that's built in there. We don't want to lose uh, the ease or maybe the benefits or the reciprocity that we feel in that relationship. And so coming up against conflict activates all kinds of uh, discomfort. I think even in the most non-conflict adverse folks, there's some degree of of discomfort that shows up. Uh, and yet it's it's inherent, it's natural, and true deep community needs to be able to navigate conflict well, to be able to enter in and move through, because it's only through healthy conflict that we really can have established commitment and accountability and support to navigate and, and stay with those relationships in a long-term kind of way. Mm, that's so true. And I think in the past, I've been like a ghoster whenever mm. conflict happens. I'm like, well, bye. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think after having experienced some healthy conflict where it's not even that dramatic, it's not that painful, maybe it's uncomfortable, and then the end is in sight. And like, I feel better than ever. And I, the relationships feel stronger than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you speak to a good thing here, Samantha, in that some relationships, some contexts aren't worth it. The mm -hmm. pressing in to the conflict, you know, or we can we can recognize the bigger picture or the temporal nature of a dynamic. I mean, I can even think when we moved to this home, we, we had a couple seasons um, of having a couple of different singles come and live in our family home with us and, and do life with us and, and do some exchange of rent for childcare and and just weave some elements of life together. And there was a couple times where it thought, you know, something came up that felt, I don't know, not ideal, that maybe irked me. <laughs> or I thought, you know, this is a thing we could press into. Maybe it wouldn't have really even been conflict, but it would have been an uncomfortable conversation. Um, or, you know, looking at, okay, they're here for another two months. Is this a thing that requires the, the emotional energy for that kind of a conversation? What does it at risk? You know, maybe it's not actually needed or it's not actually 
uh, what's most important here. Maybe I can do my own work <laughs> to sit with whatever that discomfort is and press through because it's three months or it's another couple months that they're here. And so that's really different than the years we spent where we were living together in an indeterminate amount of time with community members, knowing that it was at minimum going to be years together. Uh, when conflict came up, it was like, no, 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 this is worth doing the work for and pressing in and addressing while it's early so that we can come back to a place of ease and, and rebuild trust if we need to, uh, to tend to those relationships in a longer term way. So just to say, you know, I don't think you're wrong sometimes to recognize mm, this conflict might not be worth my energy. Uh, and that's oftentimes circumstantial and dependent on the, the relationship itself. That's such a good point. And I feel like that discernment maybe is part of what makes the community maybe different than the village. Hmm, I was reading, I wish I remembered what it was. Um, it was in How We Show Up by Mia Birdsong. And she mm -hmm. was referencing someone else's work and I forgot their name, but he was talking about different like zones of relationships. And zone one means that you're really close. You'll show up for each other. You trust each other and you'd probably have those conflict conversations. And then there's other zones where it's like acquaintances and and so on. So I don't know, yeah. that reminded me of that. Yeah, absolutely. Different relationships play different roles in our life and therefore require different types of skills to show up to them. Mm, I love that. So I'm wondering, are there other ways that we can start to reweave the village in our daily life? Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> well, for me, it has definitely been um, based in place and and focused around neighborhood. I think this is the only way to reweave village. So I'll start there because that's been where I have kind of brought my focus and then maybe name a couple other approaches that we might might do to this. But for us, that started with uh, taking down our front fence and putting in a front front yard patio so that as like the very first thing we did when we moved into our house so that we could be out front in mm. our home rather than in the back. Now we still do go to the back when we kind of need family time or downtime or gardens back there. Uh, but a lot of the time we're really intentional to hang out in the front of our house so that as neighbors come and go, uh, we're out there to say hi and to connect and to initiate conversation. Um, we've really intentionally planted uh, berry bushes right along the front of our yard so that neighbors can stop and partake and we can initiate conversation again around those kinds of things. So one is just being really present in your neighborhood, putting yourself uh, inside the landscape and making yourself available. And I think this is again where that busyness factor comes in is like there does need to be a bit of a buffer or spaciousness inside our lives to allow for those impromptu connections that more naturally or authentically build relationship. I think we can also be more intentional about it. And, you know, whether that is hosting a neighborhood potluck or a, or, or initiating, say, reaching out, saying, does somebody else want to host? I've got the idea. Does somebody have the space? If you don't have the space to host something like that, um, it could be just taking that leap of offering more about yourself and what you're longing for in relationship 
with your neighbors, getting to know them, inviting them over, et cetera. So I think that absolutely is one piece is that real kind of local um, availability and, and, and being intentional um, are the couple pieces there. I really think though, you know, if we don't, for whatever reason, either feel rooted in a place, we're in a transient season of life, or um, for whatever reason, the neighborhood or community that we're kind of living as a part of feels uh, out of reach or or not aligned, that there are other ways to build village into our life through our friend networks or our family system. I love that you introduced that. Um, and again, bringing some intentionality, offering support, asking for help, sharing needs, creating ease of connection and frequency of connection. So whether that is even starting a group chat with a, a group of friends where you touch in regularly and ask how the day is going and what's coming up for you uh, or, or gather together in a more intentional or regular way, I think these are other ways that we can start to bring the practicality of the village into our daily life. Ooh, I love that you gave kind of two options. Um, and as I'm entering a new neighborhood, I'm I'm really going to reflect on those things. And how interesting when you first said, hang out in the front, I went, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was your, what was the uh, about for you? Yeah, let's see. I think I just, even like, you know, bringing in my groceries last night, I saw a neighbor and I was thinking, oh, this would be a great time to say hi. And then I was like, no, I'm just going to pretend I didn't see them. <laughs> so I don't know what that's about. Maybe, maybe even a fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're going to be there for the foreseeable future. What if it doesn't go well? Yeah. Um, and I think some of it's also learned. I think too, a lot of times our neighborhoods are kind of designed for uh, separating us rather than connecting us. You know, a lot of folks, their mm -hmm. garage uh, connects right into their house. So they go from their car, they drive into their garage, they get out of the garage and they're already inside their home. And so that kind of coming and going um, right out in the neighborhood doesn't happen so much. At least where I live is a bit more of like a suburban type setup. And so that's quite common, you know, that people like you don't even see them for months of the year in the winter <laughs> they're like coming into their garage and into the house and then it takes a bit more of a stretch uh and sometimes that for us that is like a text to the next door neighbor like hey i haven't seen you in forever how are you guys doing just like a quick touch in um because the structure of the environment is actually set up to direct us like to our independent dwellings rather than to direct us towards each other. And I, I just think it's so true that it's really uncomfortable for lots of folks to place themselves. Um, maybe too, it maybe feels a bit more on display. Uh, letting people know you that you live near can feel quite mm. vulnerable because they do see you. Like there's, <laughs> they see you. Yeah. What I mean by that is they might see you when you're not at your best, when you're in your bathrobe bringing the garbage out to the street, or uh, you know, maybe when you've just lost it at your kids in the front yard, or whatever the thing is, that can be a really vulnerable thing to uh, feel to feel exposed. Maybe when it feels like the people around us also know us. Where it's different, I think, is when it feels like the people around us know us and they care about us. Mm, that's so true. Or even, 
I'm thinking like know us and feel neutrally. <laughs> mm, yeah, that too. Yeah, that too. Or when they recognize that, you know, they're human, we're human, we're all just bumping up into each other doing life. Um, but there is a difference for me. I, you know, it's taken time to build this, but when when we lived in community, and especially after we lived for a number of years in community, I, I really recognized I could bump into somebody on our property and say, Oh, how's it going today? And they might say, Oh, really tired. But I knew there was such depth of knowing what that one line meant because we were in each other's lives in such intimate ways and we'd seen so many of the ups and downs and i knew the griefs they were carrying and the challenges they were facing and so they could give me a one-liner and it would be like a knowing connection like a, mm, i see you like doing it and all of a sudden that one moment could feel so resourcing even though it was a short interaction because it was based or held by this broader context of really doing life together. And then when we moved into our current situation, you know, it took a long time to build anything that reflected that same experience. You know, I would bump into neighbors, oh, how's it going? Good. How are you? You know, and and it's nice and it's pleasant, but it didn't have a quality, the same quality of depth to it because we knew so little about each other because um, our interactions and our history was maybe just a lighter version, <laughs> a, a less intertwined version. And, and over time, you know, we don't have that with all of our neighbors, but absolutely there's, you know, half dozen families in our couple block radius, where if we bump into them on the street or at the store or at the beach or the school playground and say, hey, how's it going? Um, we can really be heard and see each other with a short response because of that added layer of, of being in each other's lives on the regular. Mm, that's so beautiful. I'm all I love that you mentioned that it takes time. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, you don't have to start with being like, hey, you come in my house. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we can take those little steps of like building familiar familiarity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I like that you said that. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It absolutely takes time and, and more, more so for some than others. You know, I am a, I'm a go deep quick kind of person. My husband is a like, show me who you are. And then I'll trust you kind of person. And mm -hmm. so for us, our trajectories have been different in terms of our experiences of our different environment, our community experiences and our, our kind of living environments have have felt different to the both of us because we have different natures in terms of how we approach relationship and in terms of how safe we feel or um, how willing we feel to go deep or to be vulnerable or to share a need or to offer help. And that's okay. That's, that's the whole point is that a village, a community, an ecosystem is made up of many parts and they aren't all meant to play the same role or look the same way. Ooh, that's such a great point. Thank you for saying that. So I'm curious, you have a new offering called Our Common Life, and that's starting on March 30th. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, you bet. Um, this offering was born kind of out of my experience that, that you asked me about, Samantha, of, of transitioning from lived community into the modern Western home in the classic neighborhood and this grappling of like, where is my village? How do I find it? How do I find it without the kind of organized structure that I had previously? And so 
you know, that's been a process and a process that I really wished I had had others to kind of encourage me along the way or to hold me accountable. You know, I think I talked for years and years about running a backyard barbecue for the neighborhood. And like for years, I talked about it before I actually did it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the idea with this offering, it's a year long uh, and it's to gather folks together that are longing to bring more elements of shared life into their daily life, but maybe don't know where to start, uh, maybe feel like they need some of the skill, relational skill building, like conflict navigation, like relational design, um, and are wanting the encouragement, the resourcing, the brainstorming, the ideas, the accountability and support of a group of people that are kind of seeking to do the same thing in their own place. So. The group will be a global group. You know, folks will come from wherever we're meeting over Zoom. It is a, this combination of virtual platform, but the expression of our work and our exploration will be local in our own places and in our own communities and with our own groups of friends or family or neighborhood, uh, depending on what it is we're looking for. Um, and so, yeah, it'll, it'll include elements of teaching, but also just community encouragement, uh, sharing of resources, brainstorming etc. Isn't that beautiful that you're taking this online community and then they're spreading it into their in-person communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is um, think global, act local. And I actually mm. don't know who the quote is by. So maybe it's one of those unknown anonymous ones. But uh, this idea, you know, what are the problems I see in the world? And, and what kind of um, solutions do I, I think might serve those greater problems? And then uh, how can I act those out in my daily life, in my place, in my community? And so I think this is really built on that idea that we're, we're going to be global community, global access to the accountability and support, but a real local expression uh, of the learning and of the grappling um, and hopefully of the successes in the building of community. That all sounds so exciting. And the link in the show, no show notes will take folks to that sign up page. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah, registration closes March 16th. Um, okay. And we'll be starting at the end of the month and running for a whole year all the way till the end of February. And really designed a little bit to be low touch in terms of how often uh, mm -hmm. we are meeting, partly so that we can get to know each other and support each other and resource each other, but also so that we have the time and capacity to actually be building the community in our local places and not feeling like the group itself consumes all of our relational attention and energy. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. And then if you're listening in real time, there's also the free all-in call on March 9th. That's well. correct. Yeah, where we're going to be talking about conflict and maybe some tools to navigate it, uh, relational design, making repair when it goes wrong, uh, sitting in the discomfort of it, etc. Mm, maybe I'll look into that. Yeah, it would be great to have you there. Yeah. Well, awesome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you didn't get to say or share that you'd like to now before we end? Um, maybe just to name, you know, that my work extends beyond this particular offering and is actually largely um, expressed through coaching with 
with teams community i call it existing communities that can be mm. with teams it can be uh local or lived communities people looking to do life together or uh navigating the complexity of trying to do elements of life together but it could be business partners um, in particular teams that have some new nuanced relationship dynamics and that maybe they are family members that have gone into business or friends that are working together where that there's that kind of a lot at stake feeling mm. in the relationship dynamics really supporting folks to uh, lean in and navigate those dynamics with courage with grace uh, with creativity and that is also just I think an expression of this broader leaning towards building inter interdependence into our lives that sounds so interesting thank you for telling us that mm -hmm. thanks for making space for the conversation mm, thank you i had such a lovely time and i feel so inspired mm, thanks for having me you're welcome So much for listening to this episode of empowered spirituality if you liked what you heard today it would mean so much if you shared with a friend or gave it a rating or review so that it can reach even more people if you want to connect further perhaps you can consider joining the low-cost monthly membership for virtual new moon circles weekly guided meditations tarot pools and a discord community you can find that at ko-fi.com bloomingwild or you can visit my website samanthanagel.com to work with me further.